And it is certainly a special blessing to be gathered here tonight. And with these brothers and sisters here in Lebanon County, I'm not sure if it might be Brooks County, <laughs> Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if we crossed that line or not. A blessing to be here. And we thank you for your prayers and preparations. A tremendous amount of work went into planning what we are enjoying here tonight. We thank you for what you have done. And not only the brothers at Harmony, but all the supporting churches that are blessing this effort with your presence and your participation and your prayers. I'm going to say just one more word about that comment that we heard earlier here, multi Denominational, and, and that might be a strange comment, a strange concept for some of you. I just want to say a few words about that, if I may. I think what we're talking about there, when that word is used, and I heard that expression when we're living in, in down in Costa Rica, someone called and made that expression to me that that's part of the plan here, and I thought about it. I thought what that probably means is that we are responsible from this pulpit to promote one thing. And that, that is what God said about it. Anything what God said about it. And what that means is there must be a Bible foundation for what we're speaking. There must be a Bible purpose, a Bible principle, a Bible reason for what we say here. And we're not here to promote the way we do things in Costa Rica. Although we might use some illustrations from there. But the idea is to teach God's word. And that, that, let that then be applicable to anyone's heart. And uh, I just want to make two comments about this. The feelings we might have as we consider relationships with maybe other groups of people who might in some ways differ from ourselves. I'll make these two comments about that. If there's any Carl Swartzen trooper or any brother up here in this pulpit who says some things that give you some pause and give you some moment to reflect and you just wonder if that was said the way it should have been said. Well, the Bible is has an illustration in there that maybe would apply in a case like that. If your name was Aquila or Priscilla and you noticed that something happened up here that maybe should have been said a little differently... That person may someday be an Apollos that can do far more for the Lord than what you and I can do. Then why don't you love him enough to share a little insight and understanding in a kind and gracious way? And wouldn't God be pleased to bless that, those few words, and encourage someone in the right direction? You can be an equivalent of Priscilla, could you not? And help some Apollos along his way. I want to just share that with you and then one more illustration. One week ago tonight, in a little, very remote place in Costa Rica, about 45 minutes to an hour off of any kind of macadamed highway, through tremendous numbers of mud holes, our intercongregational chorus was giving a program way, way up there in the Boondocks, you might call it, in one of our more remote congregations at Quebradon. And the chorus had given this program in several churches, and there were more people present in this service than in any other service up until then. 
People came from all over the place, but, but let me tell you something. The congregation that sponsored this meeting about 15 years ago left a, another congregation that was somewhat different from them in some ways, and though it was a very peaceful and beautiful parting, it was also painful. And every family from the congregation that they had left that number of years ago was present in that meeting on Sunday night. If that's not impressive to you, then let me finish and tell you that about nine or ten years ago, a congregation of people left this church that was sponsoring this meeting on Sunday night and formed a group some 25, 30 minutes away. And they were present in the meeting and brought a lot of the food that was used to feed the many guests, several hundred people that were there in that little remote place and only half of them could get inside the building. And just being present there and hearing these beautiful hymns and seeing that these three congregations that represent three quite distinct things and had these experiences in their past, were here together under one roof, those that were under the roof. It was, it was a unique experience to see the cooperation and the love and the fellowship. I think that's what the Brothers of Harmony would like to see in this meeting, if I understand their hearts correctly. Uh, coming to hear the preaching coming to hear the preaching of the word this week. I was preaching in a uh, at a place in, in, in Nicaragua that some of you have learned about through some books that you have read. But back at this time there we had new congregations established there but we were periodically preaching in various locations to introduce people to a message that they were not acquainted with. We got to the last night of the meetings on a Sunday night. And there was a little pe- couple pieces of tin there that approximately 25 or 30 people were able to get under. That's how small the little shed was where we had these meetings. And outside there was grass. And at the edge of that grass there was a barbed wire fence. And inside that fence, there were several hundred people standing, listening to the preaching, standing, because there were no chairs to sit on. But that would not impress you until you know that it was pouring down raining the whole time they were standing there. And nobody went home because it was raining. Nobody went into the dry. They stayed till the service was over. They listened to all that they could hear. kind of interesting to me because someone told me this afternoon are you listening? They said oh it's starting to rain I wonder how that will affect the tent meeting. Brothers and sisters in Pennsylvania brothers and sisters and then this happened in the country of Bolivia in a Chiquitano Indian village 
where I don't think any of us had ever been before and no one had ever spoken before. But there were quite a few families in that village. And we decided to have a preaching service out there in the middle of their village under a tree. And because we got there later than we thought we would get there and we were not acquainted with the place very well. And it was dark before we got into the service. But many, many people, and I could not see how many people came. But I, I gave a little flashlight to a young man, and he jumped up in the tree. He wasn't being Zacchaeus, but he sat there on the branch and shined that flashlight down in my Bible so I could see. And I was preaching to these people from John chapter 4. And now we're finished. And now we're dispersing and busy with these people that came there, and a man walked up to me and said, Those words, those words, where can we find those words? We have never heard those words. Would you please come and live here and teach us those words? We don't have those words. What do you think of that? Is there anybody here that would go there and give them those words? We don't have those words. We live close to the town of Anestia in Costa Rica, 10 minutes from our house, 11 minutes. Two weeks ago, I was in the village and a young man walked up to me. He called me by my name and he said, It's, it's the words. It's the words. We need to listen when you speak. It's the words. He's a Catholic boy. He's not a member of any of our congregations. But he has learned about the words. And so we want to hear the words. And the Those words are important no matter what name is written on the front of the building where we worship on Sunday morning. The words. The words. So if we can agree on that, I I think we'll be all right these days. (laughs) If we can agree on the words. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Now, Father, it's a real blessing to be gathered here tonight. It's a joy to see all that was done to make this meeting possible. And now we're here together. And you are here, and we invite you here. In ways that we cannot imagine, we ask you to speak to our hearts. In ways we have not thought of, and with thoughts and expressions that we have not prepared to say, we ask you to give us your words for our precious people that are gathered here tonight. And bless this time of fellowship, not only tonight, but throughout this week. And be glorified, dear Father. As we are here together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I expect to spend most of the time this week speaking on the subject of God. And, of course, I don't know where all that will take us. But it might be helpful if I would suggest some things I would like to see God do with these messages that come 
as the Lord tarries throughout these evenings. There's nothing more important that our minds can ever entertain than the thoughts of God. And all the world is divided between two groups of people. Those who seek him with all their heart and those who do not. And some of those seekers are not very religious people. And some of those seekers know virtually nothing about the Bible. But in their heart there's a longing and they're searching. And God will find them wherever they are. And there are other people that are very, very religious and know all kinds of things about the Bible and can quote to you scripture and can explain many doctrines, but they're not seeking God in their hearts. They already know the answer. They already know how it's supposed to function. They already know how it all works out. And not seeking God with their hearts. And we must seek Him. And then we find Him. And we must knock, and then it's opened. We must seek the Lord. And so it's very important for us to think thoughts about God. We want to do that these days. And I have several purposes for wanting to do that. And one of them is that faith comes as we do that. And as we hear that, as we meditate upon that, then faith comes. And without faith, we cannot live the Christian life. We cannot serve the Lord. We cannot walk with God without faith. And then there's another thing that happens to the one who's in this way, seeking the face of the Lord, and meditating upon His presence, and aware of His dearness. Something else happens that begins to form the image of our Lord God in our lives. And that is when we bow our hearts and we bow our knees and we worship the God of heaven. That is what we want to do. If if these meetings this week could inspire someone toward that direction in his life, then it was certainly a beautiful time, an opportunity to have been together, if that's the reason for which we gather night after night. And so I invite you to uh, join us in prayer concerning that direction. No, I do not have a clock with me, and I don't know what time it is, nor where this is going to go. And so I just pray that some or another here, we'd figure out how we're supposed to arrange that. Because I don't, uh, I don't know what that, what that thing is saying. So we'll have to trust the Lord for that time. I'll try to be respectful uh, of the busy day that you've had and the day you have tomorrow. We want to get you out of here on time tonight. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 11. God. A series of messages on God. We'll start tonight looking at one of the attributes of God. It's a very interesting subject to try to speak about because we we don't know what we are to say. When you try to describe something that's indescribable, try to explain something that is invisible, when you try to define and help someone understand something that's incomprehensible, 
You have a difficult job on your hands, a difficult task to do. Though God is very, very real and very evident and very present and very knowable. And as he was a friend to Abraham and his men of the past walked with him, we can also know him. But we will never understand him. We'll never comprehend him. Because he's incomprehensible. The incomprehensible God. I want to speak about that tonight. And Romans 11 says, in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed on him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Incomprehensible. Unsearchable. This God of heaven. And it's a marvel that we as human beings are able to know an unsearchable God. Know him. Uh, though, though no one understands him. And we know really very, very little about him. And was it not his heart to reveal himself to us, we wouldn't know that much. It's a marvelous thing what we, what we know. And Adam and Eve knew very, very little. And, and if they would have been content with what they had, if they would have worshipped by what they knew, if they would have walked with him in the cool of the day, if they would have answered when he came, It would have been fine because they would have grown. They would have understood more. They would have known more tomorrow than they knew yesterday if they would have done that. But but we use that word fast forward tonight. They wanted a a fast forward. They wanted an instantaneous, complete revelation. They they wanted to know beyond what they had the capacity to know. And they, they, they got to know some things that they had not known but they got to know the wrong thing. But we can know God. In fact, it is life eternal that we know Him. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom, who God has sent. John 17, verse 3. That is life eternal. We do know Him. You know, the knowledge of the holy is a miracle that God Himself has made possible for us. And I know there are mysteries here. As often as I've thought about this, there are mysteries. As much as what I've tried to understand and look into it, there are things that I, I stop. I can go no further. I don't understand what was going on there. I think of the three friends that came to see Job. And they saw this man here with his losses and with his health problems. And they saw him in his despondency and, and maybe desperation. They saw him and, and they started talking to him. And, and one of them had some wisdom about him and said, well, you know, listen, the Almighty, we, we can't understand the Almighty. It's just too much for us. It's, it's too big a picture. We, we just don't understand it all. We, we And so I guess he was trying to impress Job that there might be things out there that he, he's not quite well aware of. But, you know, the man he was talking didn't know God either. Very, very well. And he did not understand the mystery that was going on there. He had no idea 
that behind the scenes in the eternal world where eyes cannot enter and mortal beings cannot be present, a, a, a strange conversation was going on in the eternities. And God and Satan had their eyes focused on a man on the earth. And they knew none of this. And God was at work doing something they knew nothing about. And in their complete ignorance, trying to help a suffering person. And they had no idea what words to choose to, to bless that man. Because they misunderstood the entire thing. And they did, there was too, too much about God that they did not know. And yet they admitted that God is incomprehensible. You find that in Job chapter 11, if you checked it out there and and it's, it's very beautiful verses and very, very true. It's a Bible teaching that, that we cannot really understand God. And so what, you, what do we do when we get in situations like that? And you and I are not Job. I told my wife this week, and although we're facing some very difficult things these days. And I told her that I've heard people say many, many times, you're like Job, or I am like Job, or I'm going through what Job went through. No! No! You're not! You haven't been there, haven't experienced that, have no idea what you're talking about. Don't say that. There's probably none of us here that have that much to lose. Number one. And what that suffering amounted to is beyond what we have experienced. And then we say we're like Job. It's, it's a marvel what was going on there. And this was an eternal war that was going on there. And Job had very little to do with it. Yet there's one thing, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And that the skin worms destroy this body, get in my flesh, shall I see God. He knew that, and hung on to that, and he was very, very limited in what he knew. And you and I know that much. We should know that much. And we don't need to understand the rest of it, but there's a God in heaven, and we believe him, and we trust him, and he's in charge of us. He's for us. He's not against us. You're the worst of sinners. You're as deep as you can go. You're in the, as one person in Lancaster County said, the dregs of humanity. I don't know if there is such a thing. But far from God. And God is for you. Your condition might be the worst of the worst. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of insurrection. He had been trying to overthrow the Roman authorities. And he's hanging on a cross dying for his criminal offenses. And God is for him. 100%. He came off that cross a saved man. And today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And God is for us. He's for you and he's for me. And, uh, I've had people tell me this. When you're in a low point, you know, physically things aren't working out very well and you have a running service and instead of getting better, you get worse. So someone comes and stands beside your bed, looks down your face and says, well, Dale, uh, what kind of unconfessed sin do you have in your life that you can't get better? Uh, just, 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 just what's going on in there that uh, you haven't taken care of before the Lord. And that's what Job was listening to. And we don't know God. And there might be things we should make right. There might be things we wish were better. There might be a nearness to God that we wish we could attain. 
Of course there is. Anyone that walks with God knows his inferiority. Anyone that walks with God knows the difficulties that are still in his life. Anyone that walks with God knows the imperfections that daily beset him, his testimony in his life. But God is for us tonight. Even though we don't understand why the things happen that take place, we don't know why. We don't need to know why. Faith does not need to know why. Faith worships does not need to know why, but faith believes and does not doubt that God is for us. There are mysteries here. He's invisible, and yet he is present. And I don't know what evidence you have. I don't know how many of you have had evidence today that God is present and God is involved and actively participating in your life. I don't know what evidence you have. I don't know what happened since you got out of bed this morning. That is a, an evident token of God's presence in your life. Of God's direction in your life. Of God's awareness of your needs. And God's purpose being worked out in your experience. And, and you know and have the assurance that God is there. And we can start here and with these little children go across here and have everyone give the testimony. Of what God is doing in the last 24 hours in your life. It would be an interesting thing to hear. But God is, though he's invisible, he's present. And we say our Father, our Father, which makes him very personal and very ours and very near and very personable. But then, then we say, which art in heaven. And it seems so far away and so vastly filling all of eternity and all the universe. And we say, our Father, and then we put it out there beyond galaxies and light years. There are mysteries here. Inhabiting, inhabiting eternity. And yet he chooses to live within our hearts, as the song says, Eternal Father. When to thee beyond our worlds by faith I soar, before thy boundless majesty I stand in silence and adore. Angels and seraphims are continually saying without ceasing, holy, holy, holy. And yet, at the same time, God loves a sinner. Isn't that amazing? Holy, holy, holy. And yet he loves a sinner. And here we have this angel with a flaming sword guarding the way of the tree of life. And Adam and Eve are, are out of there, that garden. Of Eden. Yet the same God. Comes and says. Adam. Where art thou? And if he would use your name tonight. And say where art thou. What would you answer? What would I answer? Who is this God? Incomparable. Incomprehensible. Unsearchable. Exodus chapter 15. Verse 11. This is a, actually a, a hymn in our Spanish language. song that we sing. Quien como tu, Jehová. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? 
glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The answer is no one. The answer is nothing. Nothing is comparable to God. And for that reason, we can't comprehend it because we don't have anything we can liken him to. We, we, we can't say what it's like. We, we have those words there in the first chapter of Ezekiel where the prophet is trying to describe something that was beyond human imagination. He had never seen it before, didn't know how to explain it to anybody else. He, he had seen this, he saw wheels, he saw these, uh, he saw these creatures. He saw all this that was going on. He, he tried. He tried to find words. Tried to say something about it. And he said, "He said, well, well there was a likeness. Well, well it, it was the appearance of. Well, it, it was it was like unto. Well, it was it was." And you read that time after time in the first chapter of Ezekiel. He didn't have anything to explain it to us to, to compare it with. It's beyond our imagination. It's it's beyond what we've looked at. And when it comes to God, we have some of that same difficult language to deal with. How do we get a hold of this thing? It's, it's something we have not known. It's something we have not seen. How do we get an understanding of this? And it's a, it's a problem that we have tonight to try to make this clear. See, why would that what we think about God? That what comes to our minds when the name of God is mentioned. It's very, very important about us. When we look at that, I think the Lord tarries on Tuesday night. I want to try and help us understand how we got to the place where we think about God the way we do. And then how we must allow the Lord to show us and deepen us and perfect us and improve us and change the concepts of God that we have until it's as biblical and close to God's holy word as we can come with our living understanding. We want to do that on Tuesday night. If the Lord tarries. We have another message tomorrow night that we must give first. But what we think about God when we think of Him is important about us. The mistakes we make, the choices we make, the direction we're traveling in life is because of our concepts of God. We one day did it this way, but now we choose to do it that way. We one day thought that way about it, but now we change it to this way. It's our concepts of God. Our God allows that. Our God permits that. Our, our God is in that. We, we've got God figured out. He's inside here. We, we understand Him. We have to be careful about that in our lives. All that we do, what we think, our knowledge of God is controlled by that. And, and that's true of Jesus. Let me just show it to you in John 8. Would you look there momentarily? John chapter 8. This explains how Jesus lived. It explains his choices. It explained his responses. It was his knowledge of the Father. It's what he thought about God. It's how he made his decisions in life. John 8 verse 19. Then said they unto him, Where is thy Father? Jesus answered, Neither ye neither know me nor my Father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. Verse 47 of that same chapter. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Verse 54. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say he is, that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. 
And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like unto, like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. That's why Jesus did what he did, taught what he taught, lived the way he lived, responded like he did. Because he knew the Father. And if we would have the opportunity to know the Father, we could live as Jesus lived in this world. And we need to know the Father. And this helps us to understand the change that came to the Samaritan woman. Her concept of God changed. Helps us understand the change in Paul as he was on the way to Damascus. Helps explain the change that was in Ruth the Moabitess. She learned new things about God. So we said he's unsearchable. It, incomprehensible. It's one of the attributes of God. It's a truth that we find only in God. An attribute of God is a truth that's found in God and only in God. A, a, a truth, a quality, something we can know about God that we know about no one else. We would say about nothing else or no one else that it's unsearchable, that it's incomprehensible, that we cannot ever figure it out. And if there's something we cannot figure out, it's because God is in it. If you cannot explain to me tonight, if you cannot explain to me why that sun has been shining for thousands of years, and it has not gotten any colder, and it has not run out of any fuel, and you can explain it in terms of helium, you can explain it in terms of hydrogen, you can explain it like you want to, but if you think that your answer is sufficient, then sit down here to your laboratory, build one of those things, and let's see how long it burns. And this thing goes on and goes on and goes on. And the reason we can't understand it and cannot explain it is because God is in it. We can't explain how that happens. <laughs> I, can't, I can't explain how that what I had for breakfast that came inside of a shell, a, a brown shell about this big around. I cannot explain that if I had done something different with that same little egg than what I did putting in the frying pan, why, we could have had a little baby chick. That's beyond me. But God is in it. It's found in Genesis chapter 1. And these are truths about God. It's an attribute of God. It's incomprehensible. It's true of none other. It's true of God. And what, we, what God has chosen to reveal about himself, that we know. And he's revealed himself to us in at least three ways. Now I'm going to say this, just to keep your attention here. God has revealed himself to the people sitting in this front bench, in at least three ways. But to their neighbors who know that God... To their neighbors who might be searching, though they might not know about it. God has chosen to reveal himself to them in four ways. God has revealed himself to these people in three ways. Creation reveals God. His word reveals God. And our Lord Jesus Christ has revealed the Father to us. But those unconverted neighbors, God has a fourth 
A fourth. A fourth revelation. The lives of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people. The lives of these people. A revelation of God to the world. Think about that. The book the world is reading, sitting on the front bench of a tent. That's what God does. God has chosen to reveal that to us. Now, we don't know all the attributes of God. We are ignorant. We don't know all the attributes of God. I cannot possibly explain it to you. And, and, and we don't know, just like that sun. You, you can't go in there. No one has ever gone up there, gotten in there, gotten close to that to see what's going on in there. No one has gotten samples of it. No one has studied it. No one can get up there and look in there and see what's happening in there. And so we know very little about it. We know there's light. We know there's heat. And that sun is one of the smallest of stars, they tell us. It's, it's not even white. It's not even blue. It, it's, it's kind of red. And, and, and there it is. And it, it, here this is happening. It's happening all across the universe. And you wonder, what's going on? There's something beyond us there. And only God can have the attributes of God. Only God can have them. Something unsearchable can be said of nothing else. And that's the beauty of God is the holy answer, the eternal answer, the divine answer to the questions that we have. Who is God? Where is He? Can we know Him? What is He like? And the divine answer. First Timothy, look at it there in chapter 6. Verses 13 through 16. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus. He before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And so it's like that sun. You, you, you can uh, look, you take a welder's helmet and you can look through that glass and look at it. But you can't take the Walter's helmet away and look at it. And you can stand on, the, on this earth and st- stare up there and, and put out your arms and feel the heat of that, of that and some of the ultraviolet rays might change the color of your skin. But you can't go close enough to learn more. That's the way God is. And what has come to us by His revelation and His interest in our lives and His desire to bless us and have community with us and, and to meet our needs and for us to respond to Him and believe Him and trust Him for what we have not yet seen. He gives us enough that we can by faith do that. But there's much, much that we do not know. We have not gotten close enough. Oh, we have this little, we have this little granddaughter here in Lebanon, in Lebanon County. She lives over on the other side of the line. And she's kind of an interesting little person. And when you first show up, you know, she, she, we see her about once a year. And when we show up, she doesn't want anything to do with us. She, she runs away and hides behind her mother's skirt. And she, uh, she's kind of scared of this uh, grizzly bear or what do you call it there, multiflower rose bush that she sees there. And she, she's a little worried about it. So she kind of snugs off to the side. You know how long that lasts? Uh, that lasts about 25, 35 minutes. Grandpa, I will show you. You come with me. And here we go. 
And then the more time we spend together, a little girl and I, five years old, the more time we walk, walk around there, now I got to see the chickens, and, and she, and we have a, we made a tunnel in the straw bales, and you must come and see our tunnel in the straw bales. So we got to look at the tunnel in the straw bales. You know what happens? The more time we walk together and play together and listen to each other's voices, you know what happens? It just, it just gets like that. It gets like that. It gets like that. That's how it is when we live with God. Instead of running from Him, afraid of Him, scared of Him, mistrusting Him, doubting Him, we draw near to Him. We don't hide our face. We draw near with a full heart and full assurance of faith. Something beautiful happens in our lives when we do that. And though we don't understand everything, and that, that little girl doesn't understand everything about me, and I don't understand everything about him, but her, but I know one thing. Though she's a little child, she knows some things that I don't know. And if I listen to a while, I'm going to learn, learn about it. And the more time we spend together, that's what's going to happen. It's the joy of fellowship. It happens when we walk with God that way. Invisible. Inhabiting light that's inapproachable to us. Sovereign. A kingdom, an eternal kingdom, no end to it. It's amazing what we have in these verses that we just read. An attribute of God is what God is. It's not so much what He has. It's not so much what He can do, but it's what He is. God is love. And the reason why God does what He does is because of what His attributes are. The reason why God responds the way He responds is because of what His attributes do. The reason why the Son is the Son is because of the attributes of the Son. Teachers teach because they're teachers. You, you can't st- stop a teacher from being a teacher when he's a teacher. So that, that, that's the beauty of the person. They're a teacher. It's gonna, it, shown, it shines out in their lives or whatever they do. And I've heard, I've heard a person told me one time, he said, Dale, you'll never be a preacher. All you, all, all you ever do is teach. You'll never preach. All you do is teach. And, and there was a time in my life that was somewhat offensive to me today. It isn't. Today, I think that's wonderful, but at that one time, I didn't like that to hear that. You're just a teacher, you never preach. You're just a teacher. Very good. That's okay. He went about teaching. I heard that about one, a man one time. I think that's okay to go around teaching. It's okay to preach too if you know how to do that. Then, then, you, then you do it, brother. And the rest of us will listen to that. But do a good job of it. And the attributes of God tell us what He is. And everything that He is reveals then what He does. Only, only God can say. Only of God can we say that God is love. The Bible tells us that Ruth loved, loved Neoma. And they, they, the people were impressed, impressed with that. The people there in effort, uh, Bethlehem effort, they were impressed that this, this Moabite woman loved her mother-in-law, the Jewish girl, the Hebrew widow. Loved her. But no one place in the Bible does say that Ruth is love. God is love. She loved, but she's not love. And I love the truth. I appreciate the truth. I love to study the truth, but no one can ever say that, that, that Dale is truth. But the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the attribute that applies only to God and not to you and I. We can say the truth. We can believe the truth. We can obey the truth. We can know the truth. We are not the truth. I am the truth. Jesus said that. There's some attributes of God that are revealed in nature. There's some attributes of God that Strange thing that I'm going to say next. 
You can take probably all the attributes of God that there are and put them into lists. The one list applies to God, only to God, no one else but God, and always God. Sovereign. Eternal. Always God. Transcendent. Incomprehensible. Only God. Always God. Infinite. Only God. Almighty. Only God. Omnipresent. Only God. But then there's another list. And this is strange. It's beyond me. I think about this often. I like to understand it. I understand it very little. Listen to these words. Be ye holy. For I am holy. And then. I got to thinking. One of the strangest. Verses in scripture. Found in the gospel of Luke. It's found in Matthew. Be therefore perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. Wow. Wow. And just to help you understand that, let me give you a simple illustration. Let's just go outside here. Well, at my son's house where he lives, he had gone early this spring and had trimmed those vines out there. Great vines. He trimmed those vines. Now, last time I saw them, it was such much, so much foliage on there, you could not see the posts where the vines were growing. You could not see the wires that, that, that they were growing on. All you could see was this great big mass of who knows what. And today I looked at these things, I looked at them several times, and there were just about four stalks coming out of there, and very, very few leaves. But the leaves were beautifully green. He said, I trimmed it. And let's just say that after a little while, some flowers start to form at certain unique places on those little budding branches. And let's just say that after a while, some little tiny green balls begin to form at the end of the flower. Let's say that my son walks up to those little green balls, dark green and hard and bitter, and says to them, Be ye therefore grapes. Be ye therefore juicy, beautiful fruit. And the little dark green things say, That's my heart. I'm far from it. I'm on the way. I want to be it. I want to try. Would you help me? I'm ready to go. I, I, I just, well, listen, receive the life. Let the sap flow out into there and receive it. And sunshine come down from heaven and let it happen in your life. Just let it happen in your life. Now, I'm going to ask you something. How many of us are on that search? How many of us are living that life? How many of us are on that footpath with that determination and interest and desire and joy and motive and goal in life? And God looks down and says, Have you considered my servant Job? He's perfect in all of his ways, upright. God saying that about a mortal man. And you know very well there are flaws in his life. You know very well he said some things he should not have said. You know very well he responded there with some 
Maybe some serious hesitations in his faith. At several times in his first 31 chapters of Job. And so God comes on the scene in chapter 38 and says, Wait a minute, Job, I have a few things I need to ask you about, Job. I noticed that you got pretty lofty in some of your statements, and you seem like you understood a good bit here. Let me just ask you a couple questions, Job. I wonder if you've ever considered a few things. And God began to speak, and Job got quiet. But God had said, perfect, upright in all of his ways. You know why God said that? That was the direction of his heart. And so what's the direction of our hearts tonight? The attributes of God. God is incomprehensible. He's unsearchable. He's a God without limits. He's a God that has a a magnitude about him, a size about him, a vastness about him that we cannot get into. We just don't know enough about it. I was there at the airport and I saw a girl had a t-shirt on. It said on there a certain school. It had the name of the school on top of that. It said School of Music. I thought of I thought I'd do something a little naughty. I didn't do it. I thought I'd walk over to her and ask her a couple of questions about music and see what she says about it. I thought I'd just go over and say, since she's in the school of music, studying music, I thought I just might ask her, what do you think about it, Brother, Brother Norbert? Can we do that? Would that be okay to do that? Just ask her a couple of questions uh, about, about music to see what she would say. And there's no one in the world that knows all there is to know about music. No one, not even Beethoven. No one knows all there is to know about music. It's, it's, a, it's too vast, and that's the way God is. It's, it's unsearchable to us, and our minds are limited. We can't get into everything that there is out there. Isaiah 40. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Well, what likeness will you compare unto him? That's a theme of Isaiah 40 through 48. Each chapter there, in some form or another, some way or another, tells you that God is incomprehensible. He is incomparable. You cannot compare him to anyone else or anything else. There's, he's in a category alone. There's nothing else like it. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to study, especially this 40th chapter. But jump down then to verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth... Faineth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. That means we don't ever get to the bottom of it. We cannot figure it all out. Psalm, Psalm 145. And here then, verses 1 through 3. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised that his greatness is, and you read it there, unsearchable. We cannot get to it. 139, Psalm 139. Pausing here only to read verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I can't get it. And so we have two things that work here. We have God's greatness and our finiteness, our limitation. And he is... He is big and we are small. Inhabits light years. Fills up all eternity. It tells us that in Isaiah 57. It doesn't say he lives in eternity. It says he inhabits eternity. There's a big difference. 
I live in time, but I don't fill time. But God does. I don't understand that. It's the way our God is. We don't understand that we, we, our minds are limited. We don't understand galaxies. We don't understand light years. God is beyond all of that. We had a young man from, that we knew there who was teaching in one of our schools in Nicaragua. And there's a place there kind of remote also up there in Nueva Armenia. He had these little students there and, and they have rather poor parents and there's no electricity up in there and they earn a living with what they can get from the soil. Some have a few cattle. It was a kind of a poorish place back in those days and these little children come to school. And this fellow had to, I guess he thought he had a good bit of education and he's going to try to explain to these little students just how life works. And Well, let me just make something clear to you. They did not know that they were Nicaraguans. They didn't know that they lived in the country of Nicaragua and that there are other countries. And those people are called by other names. They didn't know that there's a map. They didn't know that there's a globe. They didn't know that people live over here, in this side of the world, and over here, in this hemisphere, and that one. They didn't know that there's oceans, and we can't see across them. They didn't know. Their mind's so limited. They just live here, and, and they... All they know is that last year the rats came and ate all of daddy's corn crop and there's new food for us that's coming here. That, that's what they know. They know that it's a mile to walk to go to school. That they know. They know that you get tired by the time you get there and the roads are awful muddy. They know that you always leave your muddy boots outside. You don't ever bring them inside the building. And you, there's a big, great big stack of muddy boots outside the building. And inside they have their bare feet on the wooden floor of the school. They know that. Do you know what? That's what we know about God. That's where we are. And yet God understands. Now this teacher was a little naughty. This teacher, he, 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 was, he somewhat reprimanded the students for not having a little broader world view than what they had. God doesn't do that to me. I'm as ignorant as those children. I know no more about God than they did. And yet God, in some way, is very, very patient and gentle with me. And if I would just take a little interest to draw near one more time, he would be there to receive me when I come. I know that about God. Too big to measure. No limits to God. Impossible to measure him. No limit to him. You can't ever exhaust his resources. You know, down there in Virginia, right off of I-81, is one of the biggest buildings in the United States. It's a warehouse. It's a distribution center. Someone told me how many tractor-trailer trucks can be backed up to that building at any one time. Special highways, super highways, had to be built in order to accommodate the traffic that's coming in there and going out of there, taking materials around the United States from that distribution center. Tremendous big building. I doubt if there's anybody that knows everything that's in it. And I don't know what kind of a computer system they have to make sure that everything's recorded, that comes and goes, so that everything's daily and momentarily and up to date. But I'd like to make that building a little bit bigger for you 
if you just fasten your seatbelt and put your tray table in this upright lock position and listen to what I'm going to tell you. I want to make that building bigger and wider and higher. I want to make that building big enough that we have a landing strip inside it. We have supersonic jets flying from one side of that building to another. That building is so large that we have supersonic trains underground in tunnels pulling many, many cars and they're hauling product from one side of that building to the other. And out here are loading docks. And out here in one little tiny door in this great big building you're standing there like this. You're standing there like this. And you say, God, you have anything in there? Could you have, some, you have a little something for me in there? Do you have some, what, what, what reach? Do you have enough? And jets are flying. And the trains are running. And this, this tremendous amount of cargo is uh, available at any instant to you. And after this stuff is going out of there and going out of there and going out of there by shiploads and by train loads and by airplane loads. After 10,000 years of that, there's still as much there as there was before anything left. This is God. And how can anyone explain that? And then why am I sitting in this frustrated moment? And why am I so handicapped? And why am I so without grace? And why am I so limited? Facing the needs that are before us. And why don't we have words for our congregations? And why don't we have answers for our struggles? And why is, why art thou cast down in my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God! There's no end to this thing. There's no end to the facility, the capacity that God has. And there's no way we can understand that. Our minds don't think that way. But that's the God of the Bible. That's the God who reveals himself to us. The nature shows us that. And the Bible shows us that. And Jesus showed us that. And takes a loaf of five loaves and two fishes. And what does he do? And why does he do it? And after he's done it thousands of times, there's as much there as there was. And how do you take that little lunch basket and turn it into 12 baskets filled after the rest of the people had already eaten? How do you do that? What Jesus is doing there? It's our God. And, and who was that lunch for? Why, it's for you and I if we believe it. It's for you and I if we need it. It's for you and I if we're humble enough to receive it. It's for you and I if we wait outside the dock of that large building till the jet comes with the whole load and gives it into our hands. It's for us if we felt a need for it. It's for us and for our churches and for our members and for our families and for our children and for our grandchildren. That's what it's for. And for our marriages, and for our lost neighbors, and and for our needy hearts. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. Though he's incomprehensible. Well, the Bible uses the word abundant. Jewish further these resources that come from God. And Jesus invites us, ask. And it shall be given. Seek. And you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened. Because everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth him, knock, and it shall be opened. I learned that from Andrew and Mary. He said that that's the, the law of the kingdom of God. 
Everyone that asketh, receiveth. Now think about that. So then what is my need? And if I'm part of this kingdom, and this is my God, and this is my Father in heaven, don't use much speaking. He knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. But, but pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as is in heaven. Give us this day. Our daily bread. And if that's the law of the kingdom. And I ask. And don't receive. Oh. James said it. Dale. You had the wrong reason for asking. You ask amiss. It was for a wrong purpose, Dale. It was not to glorify God. It was for something else. Your heart was in the way. You were too big for God to use. You were causing a shadow in His sunlight. You're interfering with the great greatness and the goodness of God. He shares His glory with none other. Be smaller so God can use you. Be more humble. Be broken before the Lord. Because we're in the presence of the Holy One. And they covered their faces. And they covered their feet. And only with two wings did they fly. Because in the presence of the Holy, Holy, Holy One. And the post of the door moved. And the, at the voice of him that spake. And the house was filled with smoke. We're in the presence of God. Bowed down. In the presence of the Holy One. Well, we'll get into this later on this week. I ask you, what has God done in the last 24 hours in your life? This God who we cannot explain it. We cannot explain Him, but He's very real. And we cannot see Him, but He's very near. And though we know very little about Him, there's nothing about me that He doesn't know. What has God done for you? What is your testimony? Simple little story. I'll close with this. A simple little story. But very meaningful to me. Let me give you many stories like this, but just one for tonight. So after my wife had cataract surgery in Costa Rica. And after cataract surgery, you know, you should go back to that doctor and there's a checkup necessary there. And uh, so we had to uh, travel several hours to go out to the Central Valley where this surgery was done. And we didn't have a vehicle. We had no way to get out there. I told my wife, I said, uh, it, was a, it was a Sunday morning, and we had to go out on Monday. And I said, Suzanne, here's what I'll do. On Sunday at my church, I'll make an announcement that we have to go out to the Central Valley tomorrow, and if anyone would know of any way we could get out there, maybe they could just let us know about it. The church service was over, and everyone went home, and no one said anything, so that did not work. So now we're trying to eat a little lunch there, and I said to my wife, what do you think we should do? She said, well, why don't you call Michael? Maybe Michael would have an idea of what we could do to get out to the Central Valley tomorrow. Now, Michael happens to be a deacon in one of our neighboring congregations. I called him, and I told him what the problem was, and he said, he said, he said Dale, just wait a minute, Dale. 
And I heard him talking to his wife. On the, though, though he had the phone receiver here, and I could pick it up, I could hear that I couldn't hear what they were saying. I just could hear his voice. I could, I could hear hers. So I knew they were talking together. And as I get back to the phone, he said, uh, Dale, I suggest you call Brother Luis. Why don't you call Brother Luis? He said, do you have his number? I'll, get, I'll give you the number. So I called Luis. And Luis said, uh, yes, uh, my wife and I must go out tomorrow morning. We'll come and pick you up. What time do you want to leave? Uh, well, Any time you say, we'll come and get you. Now, this is strange. So the next morning they were there at the said time. And now we're driving out. We're going across these mountains. And my wife and I are sitting in the back seat. They're on the front seat. And his wife's name is Nadia. And Nadia turned around looked at me. And she said, uh, Brother Dale, may I ask you some questions? Well, yes, you may. Why did you call our place yesterday? Well, well, I said, Nadia, I didn't call your place. I called somebody else, and, and they told me that they thought maybe I should call you. So that's why I called you. So she turned around, and everything was quiet. And then she turned around again, she said, She said, do you know that God must be with us today? I said, yes, I'm sure of that. No, no, she said, after church was over yesterday, I only talked to one person in the church building because I had to leave in a hurry. I only talked to one person. And I don't know why I did it, but I only said one thing. I said to this lady, tomorrow I must go for a doctor appointment at that area. And I left. She's the only person in the church that knew it. And that's the person you called. The only one that would have known. And, and, and then she called me. And, and we have this privilege to travel out here together. And God arranged that. We had nothing to do with that. God did that. Do you know that God? Is he doing that in your life? Do you have evidence of it? Can you testify to it that God's interested in you, that he knows about those details, that he has the name exactly right and knows the phone number, arranges the appointments at the sa- in the same town, in the, in, in the country of Costa Rica, the same city, just a couple blocks from each other, and God knows all of that. Do you know that God? And he knows all those details in your life. And it's concerned about everything like that that goes on with you and your children, and your congregation, your grandchildren, and your business. He's concerned about your Jersey cows. He's concerned about your hog operation and your broiler business. He's concerned about your cabinet shop. On Thursday of last week, just to show you, this God of heaven who was past our finding out Thursday was 18 days from the 15th of May. On the 15th of May, I took several reinforcing rods about this long, a hammer and a tape measure, out into a patch of grass, and marked off the building of a, of a house for a farm worker to live in. And we had a limited amount of time to get this thing done. And so we get measure this up and get it all squared up and drive the stakes into corners. So we take a shovel and start digging the footer. And 18 days later, he was able to move in. Wiring was done that needed to be done. 
Plumbing was all done. Roof was on. Windows in, doors on, locks on. He was able to move in there. And at one point, second or, second or third to last day in the situation, I was a few more blocks to put in there to sit a peel on there so he could wash his clothes. And I needed some reinforcing rod. And I didn't have enough. There was no more. I asked the people around there that the, if you, anyone, if you have seen any reinforcing rods in place. And, and someone told me that down there in that shed, he saw one hanging there on the wall. It's bent over. It's hanging up in the wall. Went down and got it. But it wasn't enough. I came walking right into this building site. And a man stood there and waiting at me. And he had this nice reinforcing rod there. And it was exactly the number of inches I needed to finish that job. I thank the Lord for it. That just a small detail like that, enough. I don't know where they found those rods. I didn't know where they were. But God's interested in those details in your life and in my life. May I say one more thing? That Apollos we talked about a few minutes ago. Do you remember? Apollos. Did you hear that before tonight? That Apollos. Why can't you and I get along with Apollos? Why do we have trouble with Apollos? Why can't we blend together with Apollos? Do you know why? After tonight, do you know why? After being here and hearing these words together, do you know why? you know what's wrong? If, if, if I would be a worshiper of the high God, if I'd have my face covered in his presence and my feet, if I'd be saying, holy, 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 if I'd be saying, dear God, I'm a little birdie in a nest with a mouth wide open and I'm just young and I have no feathers and I cannot sing a song and I cannot fly. I cannot find my own food. Someone's got to put it in my mouth. I'm those dark green, hard little lumps that should someday be grapes. That's what I am. Dear God, help me. Dear God, develop my life. Dear God, help me to grow. Dear God, make me small enough and humble enough to receive your life into my heart. I'd have less trouble getting along with Apollos. But I've got this God under control. I've got a God who have I made like unto myself. Like it tells us there in verse 21 of Psalm 50. And I've got God down to my size. I've got God inside this framework. I've got God inside there. And I dressed God the way God's supposed to dress. I combed God's hair the way his hair is supposed to be combed. I got this God all figured out. And I see God every time I look in the mirror. And I'm not a worshiper of the high God. I don't really know him as he really is. 
And God has given me a chance. He gave me a second chance. He gave me many chances. God will give you the opportunities that you need. But today, I should give Apollos the chances that he needs. I should be humble enough and small enough and kindly enough and interested enough that I'll try to help instead of criticize and condemn and wag my tongue and walk out the building justified in my own eyes. And I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men are. It's because we don't know God. It's because we're too limited in the knowledge of Him. It's because I've not lived long enough in His presence. It's because I'm not walking with God. Would God help us tonight? If there's a Paulus here, if there's someone here that would like to visit after this is over, if there's someone here that would like to visit your home these days, if there's someone here that maybe feels that you don't have quite the strength to walk up front and speak to someone when the service is over, then find some way to get our attention and we'll slip out of the door together and go around the corner so we can visit where you don't need to be worried about people watching you. Because everyone is worth it. And God is interested in every life. And these meetings are for the souls of men and women and children. And we invite any one of you that would like to express your needs, ask the questions, and give the corrections that you feel would be helpful because we want to walk with God together. That is the purpose of these meetings. Would you come tomorrow night with your heart open? You don't need to stand in the rain. There's a tent here, and you're welcome tomorrow night. May God bless this congregation. Could we stand for prayer? And so, Father, tonight we want to bless the name of the Holy One. High and lofty, inhabiting eternity, unsearchable, his ways past finding out, dwelling in light that we cannot approach unto, holy, sovereign, almighty, ever-present, ever-present help in time of need. Oh, dear Father, give us a glimpse of your glory, a glimpse of your love, a glimpse of your kindness, a glimpse of your infinity, a glimpse of your desire to help us. Give us the faith to believe that this God is for us and who can be against us. And though the problems of life wash over us and are too great for us and too big for us, we don't face those alone because God is with us. God, the everlasting God, is our everlasting help in time of trouble. We ask you, dear Father, to bless this congregation tonight and the mothers and daddies and the precious children that are gathered here and the youth be with each one that has come. And bless us as we gather together night after night, dear Father, and grant us the desires of our hearts and minister to the needs of our lives and give us carefulness and the thoughts we have towards each other so that your name be glorified and nothing hinders the holy work you wish to do in our lives. Bless us tonight as we part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we are dismissed.